you're going to get fed two ways next Sunday. Amen. So, Pastor Zach is getting ready to come right now and minister the word to us this morning on the incarnation. So, open up your heart. Get ready to receive. watching by Facebook or YouTube. We're here at 3025 South Westwood in Poplar Bluff, Missouri. And we invite you to come and be a part. Heck yeah. <clears throat> Danielle wanted me to remind you that there are two extra kids uh, there now as well on Angel Tree. So we got that. Um, and then uh, Philip wanted me to remind that they are doing caroling next week or Saturday, right? This Saturday? Okay, he did. Just kidding. He already took care of it. I'll listen to her announcement while he was announcing all the other announcements. So this week, um, we're going to be continuing our series on, on the Incarnation by St. Athanasius. I think this is a really, really valuable thing for us to go through and to, uh, and to understand. If you weren't here last week, um, we started a new series called On the Incarnation. Uh, it's a work that was written by St. Athanasius. Just a, a little bit briefly before we get started um, with this week's message, just as a recap, you guys are pretty familiar with me recapping stuff now by now, if, uh, if you've been here for a little while. Uh, St. Athanasius was a, a pretty pretty instrumental character in, in how we understand and what we understand in the faith today. He was exiled a number of five times uh, throughout the 46 or seven years that he served as a bishop of Alexandria. He, uh, he was around um, during the time that there was a specific heresy called Arianism that was going around where they believed that Jesus was a created being, uh, that he was created later on and, uh, and developed the Christ spirit and then was, uh, was, was a part of this process here, which denied the Trinity. It denies the, the fact that Jesus was there at the beginning, denies a lot of different things. And so St. Athanasius was, was a huge voice against this. And the last song that we sang today, um, I believe this, I believe. Uh, I believe in God the Father. I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Our God is three in one. I believe in life eternal. And then goes through, I believe in the virgin birth. I believe in the saints' communion. I believe in his holy church. All of those things, it's based off of a thing called the Nicene Creed. And the Nicene Creed was brought together uh, or was put together by a group of bishops and, and, and instrumental men who were trying to decide what was heresy and what was not within the church, trying to decide what the church actually believed because they did not have the 27 books of the New Testament available for them in the same way that we do. They had the Old Testament available to them, and they had letters that were written from people like Paul, like Peter, and some of these other guys, but there was nothing that was completely solidified as the, as the Bible that we have today. So they had different people teaching and preaching different things that were not completely correct, and so they wanted to bring unity within the body of Christ together. And so they made a statement of faith, essentially, of what the Bible teaches about who Christ is and what they should be believing as the church. And this is where the Nicene Creed came from. St. Athanasius was one of the men that was a part of this council that put the, the, the Nicene Creed together. It was also on his recommendation that they put together the 27 books of the New Testament. It was the 27 books that he actually recommended that gets put together. And so you can see where his name would be very important. And this work on the incarnation that we're 
uh, going over just briefly for these uh, these few weeks is is a great explanation of the Nicene Creed. And so what we're doing during this series is we're going through some of just some of it because it's it's a nice nice little book. Um, I'm not going to go through and read all the book, but we're going to read a couple excerpts from it. And we're going to talk about the importance of it and why why the incarnation is so valuable to us and why it's important for us to remember this in light of this Christmas holiday season. And so let's read from the book of John chapter one. We're going to read just a little bit of scripture this morning and then we'll get into some of Athanasius's works and then we'll kind of talk about how it relates to us today. John one says this. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was come, coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him, speaking of Jesus. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me, but he, uh, because he was before me. For his fullness, for from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace for the law was given through Moses grace and truth came through Jesus Christ no one has ever seen God the only God who is at the father's side he has made him known it's easy for us to forget that at this point in time they were not aware of Jesus being the Messiah specifically. We read the Bible with the knowledge already at the beginning of the Gospels that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Messiah. But imagine being in these people's shoes in the place where they were at, where they were unaware of who the Messiah was. They were expectant of a Messiah because they remembered the prophecies that were spoken of former times. But yet these guys did not quite know who Jesus was. And so importantly, Athanasius takes some time to, to address this. His, his, whole, his whole thought process, if you look at the work that he had before this called Against the Gentiles, where he talks about idolatry of the flesh, where people desire after the things within them and they pursue those things over pleasing God which means that they disrespect God and they end up 
walking in pride, not humbling themselves, loving God and loving others in the process. And so his work against the Gentiles is really talking about the issue that is at hand. The book on the incarnation is the resolution to the problem. And so Athanasius really concentrates at the beginning. He says this. In what preceded, we have sufficiently treated a few points from many regarding the error of the Gentiles concerning idols and their superstition. How their invention was from the beginning and that out of wickedness, human beings devised for themselves the worship of idols. By the grace of God, we also noted a few points regarding the divinity of the word of the Father and his providence and power in all things. That through him, the good Father arranges all things. By him, all things are moved and in him are life given. So come now, blessed one and true lover of Christ. Let us with the faith of our religion relate also the things concerning the incarnation of the word and expound his divine manifestation to us, which the Jews slander and the Greeks mock, but we ourselves call it true, so that all the more from his apparent sacrifice, you have, you have an even greater and fuller awareness and reverence towards him. For the more that he is mocked by unbelievers, by so much he provides a greater witness of his divinity, because what human beings cannot understand is impossible. These he shows to be possible. And what human beings mock as unseemingly, he's, these he renders by fitting his own goodness. And what human beings, through their, their, their make-believe and their, their, uh, their inappropriate thought processes, they laugh at as merely humans. These by his power he shows to be, his, to be divine by overturning this illusion of idols by making his own apparent sacrifice through the cross, invisibly persuading those who mock and disbelieve to recognize his divinity and his power. If we look in, look in, uh, in Acts, chapter 17, verse 22, it says this. It says, Paul, Paul talking to to a group of people, and this is kind of where Athanasius was coming from, as you can see this in Paul's words as he addresses uh, those in Areopagus, uh, Areopagus, excuse me. And so he says this, he says, so Paul, standing in the midst of Areopagus, he said, men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I pass along and observe the objects of your worship, I have also found an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. That the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. 
For in him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed the day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. But others say, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed, among whom also were uh, a couple different dudes and a lady named uh, Damaris and others with them, which other people were with. So what he's saying here is that he's confronting the images of idolatry that each and every one of these individuals in Athens, of course, in, in Greece, they had many, many, many gods that they served. We've talked about this when we talked about um, uh, the book of Titus and the, the type of climate around in Crete and the many, many gods that they served and the, the thought process they had behind these. And, and so what, what we're looking at with on the incarnation is that, that there is still, even from Paul's time, from when he preached in Athanasius' time, they were still dealing with idolatry. In today's time, we still deal with idolatry. This is, not, this is not something that is just completely done away with at this moment. This is something that we have to be very acutely aware of in our own lives. And the thing that, that Athanasius points out going through this first half of the, of the book is that the entirety of his argument deals with the cross and the resurrection. If we can keep the cross and resurrection at the focal point and forefront of our lives, then we will not be so much in awe of other things that are impressive in our eyes. What I mean by this is that Jesus was not the only one that saw miraculous things happen in his life or in his ministry. Anybody ever read the Bible before? <laughs> you notice throughout the Old Testament some pretty crazy things that happen? Let me give you a for instance. The book of Exodus, you see Moses has 10 different plagues that come from his obedience to walking in faith with God. 10 different wild plagues that happened that caused the Israelites to walk in freedom. Look at, look at Elijah, the prophet Elijah. He had fire rain down from heaven and consumed the altar that he doused with water over and over and over and over and it consumed the sacrifice. And then he slew 800 false prophets. There's a guy named Philip, not sitting in the back, but in the Bible, that he translated as he, was, as he ran from one place to another. You see many, many accounts from Daniel, who was thrown into the lion's den, to the Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who were thrown into the furnace, but came out unscathed. These are miraculous occasions. You also see in the book of Exodus that there were some, uh, they call them magicians, that they enacted similar things that Moses did and Aaron did. They caused Pharaoh to stay hard-hearted. And so there are things that we can see today that could be impressive to us, 
things that we could see today that could draw our attention, draw our eye, and, and, and captivate our attention. But in reality, there was only one man who went to the cross, one man who died for our sins, and one man who was raised three days later from the grave. That was Jesus Christ. And so the crux of the incarnation is not so much that you can see miracles evident, although the miracles that Jesus performed was also validation of the Messiah. When you go through and you look at each of the prophets, the prophetic words spoken about who the Messiah was going to be, that's further validation. But it was not the fact that he did miracles is that made him the Messiah. The fact that he went to the cross, died for your sins, and rose from the grave made him the one who offered us salvation in that moment. It is in Christ and Christ crucified that we've been offered the salvation that we have today. And it is only in Christ that we can be transformed as we, as we walk in right relationship with him. It is only through his Holy Spirit that we can, we can actually have conviction of the things that are, are, that are going on in our life that is unpleasing to the Lord. And it is only in, in our study of the word to make ourselves, to show ourselves approved that we can actually walk in maturity and not just be babies as we believe in what Jesus has for us. It's how we're not deceived by things externally because we're pursuing after who Christ was, who the one who went to the cross was. It was only after the cross that many people started to really truly believe that he indeed was the Messiah. Even his own disciples cowered and went away in fear wondering what happened to the man that they thought was gonna be the Messiah that he went to the cross and died. But it was only until he rose from the grave that that belief was solidified in them so much so that they went to the grave as martyrs because they believed the truth of Jesus as the Messiah. There are many impressive things that we can find today, many things that would, that would tend to pull our attention away from the reality of Christ in our life. And this is why I think that we find ourselves in repetitive sin many, many times. Is because we tend to forget the cross in the midst of our lives. We tend to forget the gravity of what the cross actually presented to us. We seek and seek after a after, after something that, that seems to be really large, a really large event or something that was really incredible. I remember thinking multiple times in, in my own life as I was struggling through, thir- through certain things, it's like, man, if I can just get to another meeting, if I could just get to, to this one person so they can pray for me, if I can just get to this one um, uh, maybe conference, or if I can go and do this one thing and just pursuing these events and pursuing these occasions and all these other things that could possibly um, provide either the, the freedom of thought or freedom of expression, whatever it was, when in all actuality, spring up a well. I had suppressed the well that was deep within, seeking after someone else to water the fields that I already had access to providing me transform. Many of the individuals throughout church history and many of these guys and in the early church, they didn't have massive conferences that they would attend. They didn't have YouTube videos they would go and watch. They didn't have all these different avenues that they would get to go to in order to experience a life with Christ. But yet we find that they were still very strong in their faith. They were very well established in what God had called them into. And they were pursuing that with all of their being. And they had the cross fixated at their attention. Their focal point was Christ. 
I feel like sometimes we can be very distracted. And it doesn't have to be with something that seems overtly sinful. It could be with something that even is deemed as good. But we can still be distracted by those things because it gives us a feeling of, of accomplishment. Maybe it gives you a feeling of, uh, man, that, that, was just a, that was just a good time. I love being around those people. That was really great. But when you go back home, you still are encountering the same thing over and over and over again. You're going back to the same issues, going back to the same problems, going back to the same mindset, the same struggles, all those things, because you gave, gave up those things for a brief and momentary time. But you did not completely submit that to the feet of Jesus. You submitted it to the feet of the presence of God in that place without actually submitting it to God. Think about that again. When you come to church services, sometimes we feel really good because you submitted that issue to the presence of God in the room, but you have not quite submitted it to God himself. I can walk into somebody's house, walk up to their front door, take my shoes off that are super muddy, walk in and have clean feet because my feet aren't muddy anymore. But then once I walk out the door, I put those muddy shoes back on and I keep on going. I haven't submitted to cleaning the shoes. I've just submitted to not having them for a brief time. So when we, when we allow idolatry to be a, a big piece of our life, when we allow idolatry to stand in front of the cross, then we will find ourselves going through repetitive problems over and over and over again because we have not completely submitted ourselves to Christ. We haven't died to ourselves. Scripture says to pick up your cross and follow after him. Many times we become spectators in the midst of the presence of God instead of actively participating and adoring our Savior. And this becomes an issue. It becomes a grave issue. This is where we become, we, we're, we're not participants in what God wants us to do, but we're just hoping to hang around to see what God is up to. You're relying on other people to, to ask what God is, is doing in this moment because you don't have a relationship with him to ask him yourself. points out in verse 23 I'll, I'll just read this quickly again for as I pass along I observe the objects of your worship I also found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God God doesn't live in a temple made by man He's not served by human hands as though he needs anything. He himself gave breath and life to mankind. He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth. So we shouldn't think that he's like gold or silver or stone. Any kind of image formed by the art and imagination of man. 
nothing that's made by the art or imagination of man. Say that again, nothing that's made by the art or imagination of man. We're not left to our imagination of what God can actually do in our lives. We have the reality of what he can do through scripture. We have the truth of what he can do through scripture. We have the testimony of what he can actually do through people by others who have been impacted. This is my testimony from death to life. Grace rewrote my story. I'll testify how often are you testifying of what God has done in your life to those around you? How often are we hearing of the good news of, of Jesus Christ, not, not in what we would hope that he could do at some point in time, maybe possibly, but we know that he can do, you can, he can transform your life, he can remove depression, he can remove anxiety, he can remove sickness, disease, he can, he can restore relationships, he can heal the brokenhearted, he gives hope to the hopeless. He gives peace to those who feel like they're in chaos. The only way that we can have the fruit of the Spirit evident in our lives is if we are actually connected to the vine. If we're not connected to the vine, then we will not emanate the fruits of the Spirit. We just have a lot of high fructose corn syrup in our life. <laughs> we have a lot, of, a lot of falsities of what the flavor really is. You can try to reproduce a flavor and that's fine. But in the end, it's not the actual fruit itself. There are many imitations out there. But there's only one true God. There's only one Jesus Christ. There's only one Messiah. He was not some random man that showed up on earth and then all of a sudden the Christ spirit came and dwelt upon him and, and lived a great life because he was so awesome. Now, this was God in the beginning. John writes about it. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was, was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He was not a created being. He was not some kind of random man that lived a wonderful life. There are great people that we can look up to and throughout church history and throughout history that lived wonderful lives in the, in the aspect of being a big contributor to what we believe and know. But none of those people were perfect. None of those people lived a perfect life. Many of them have testimonies. Some of them have things that have never been documented about their life that some people would be appalled about to learn that they struggled with certain things and things like that. But guess what? They are not the Messiah. So I am not looking for my hope in someone else. I'm not looking for my hope found in Danielle, my spouse. I'm not looking for the hope of my life in Lyrica, my daughter. I'm not looking for the hope of all eternity through my dad. I'm looking to Christ to fulfill every need that I have in my life. And from that place, I will be able to live in hope and expectation and joy and in peace, even if things around me seems to be chaotic, even if it seems like things are not going the way that I want it to, even if it seems like sickness is just all over the place, my hope is still found in Christ. We need to lay down the idols that are in our lives lay down an expectation that it's only by a specific uh, person or by a specific meeting that we can find hope and restoration. Sure, you can attend things and we have meetings, we have conferences, we do all these things because we believe in the power of the testimony of Jesus Christ. We believe in the gifts that he's endowed upon his people to, to encourage and uplift and train and equip the body of Christ for the work of the ministry. 
but we don't rely on them as my Messiah. Christ works through them, absolutely, but he's also within you. If you gave your life in full surrender to Christ and he lives within you, and that means that there's a wellspring that's within, that, that's inside of you, that you need to make sure that you're going to for consistent sustenance. Otherwise, you're going to barricade it and hoard it as if it's going away or as if it's perishable. Then you're going to look and rely on other people. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, I've, I've quoted this many times before. Those who cannot be in community, beware of being alone. Those who cannot be alone, beware of community. You start to rely on things and people as your God. Those, those who cannot be alone, beware of community. Because if you cannot be alone with your relationship with God in your own thought process and quiet time, then that means that there are some things that you have not yet surrendered to God. So whenever you're hanging around other people, if you find that their life is, is beneficial and well and, and they're doing great and they have some great stuff, then you will be so attracted to them to the point to where you're reliant upon them and see them as God. Maybe you won't verbalize that, but inside you're completely reliant on that person and they've taken place of God inside. Those who cannot be in community, beware of being alone. Maybe you're so and so so wounded or hurt and don't want to have any kind of connection with anybody else that you believe that you, only the revelation that you can receive is a revelation that's good enough. But in actuality, we need the body of Christ to keep us grounded, rooted, to be able to convict us of things, to be able to encourage us and uplift us in the times and moments whenever we're down, the time to rejoice whenever things are going wonderfully. But I'm telling you what, you cannot do things all by yourself. You cannot do things all by yourself. When you're, ex when you're experiencing loss, cannot just be by yourself. When you're experiencing heartache, you cannot be by yourself. When you're experiencing disappointment, you cannot just be by yourself and think that you have all the answers. Because I've seen too many people, and I've done it in my own life too, to where when things are not going your way, you just want to recluse and just be, be completely invisible. Hoping that, well, time will heal. Yeah, that's true, but at the same time, you can end up in a pretty dark place if you just sit there by yourself. It's always exciting when you have good news. You want to share it with somebody. We have to develop relationships with one another. We have to be relational here. And so let us remove the idolatry that separates us from truly surrendering to Christ. The Christ who is crucified. The evidence of the cross and the resurrection. Some may scoff at it. Some may, may, be, may think that you're crazy that you believe that a man rose from the grave and, and that he was actually God and that he ascended into the heavens and then sent his Holy Spirit. They may think you're nuts. That's okay. You're not here to please them in the first place. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. The law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ.
grace given through Moses, grace and truth came from Jesus Christ. The truth of the law was revealed through the gracious words of Jesus. The law was given from early, early days with Moses. Jesus clarified those words in the Sermon on the Mount, letting us know that it was not just a matter of your activity, but it's a matter of your heart, the position of your heart and your intention as you do each of these activities. Where is your heart this morning? Where's your heart? Where's your hope? Where's your trust? Are you reliant upon this pulpit? Are you reliant upon songs? Are you reliant on the person that sits next to you? Are you reliant on the one whose name pops up the most on your phone for text or notification? Are you more reliant on social media to find connection? Are you reliant upon the dollar bill to find satisfaction? Are you reliant upon your job to give you validation in life? Our hope is built on nothing less. Jesus, blood and righteousness. Take a few moments right now. You can close your eyes if you want. I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal any idol that could be in your life. Could be plural. If you have a few things that you've placed in the forefront as, as the thing that you're relying upon the most, you're just wanting to please yourself and make yourself feel good, so you're just pursuing after what, what you really like more than than what the word actually says. Maybe you're just completely unfamiliar with what, what the Bible says about stuff because you don't really read it at all. Maybe you don't have too much of a desire for that. Let me tell you, John three sixteen says that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that anyone who believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. I'm living eternity right now today I already have a relationship with Jesus so eternity started the moment that I said yes to surrendering to him my body will last for as long as it does but my relationship with Jesus Christ will extend beyond the realm of my own personal body your hope in? How fleet is your flesh which will decay and wither away? Or is it in the all-eternal, all-loving, all-sufficient, all-understanding, all-compassionate, all-jealous and righteous, just, pure, holy God? 
Jesus, we love you this, this morning. We come to you with expectation for you to move in our lives. Lord, we apologize for the times that we have relied on our own desires to please us, to fulfill our needs in what we thought was fulfilling, but in actuality that that desire did not go away. It only appeased it for a short time. Lord, we're sorry for the times that we have continued to pursue those things that are fleeting and, and moving away, things that actually lead us into destruction. Lord, that behind closed doors that we still struggle with certain things that do not bring you joy. Lord, we're sorry for the times that we have disappointed you and, and, and done things that have dishonored your name. We're sorry for the times that we relied on other people instead of relying on you. We're sorry for the times that we have, we have come to this place looking at a person to satisfy or to fix us whenever it, it is you that we need in our lives. Father, we're sorry for the times that we recluse back and we, we didn't want to have conversations with others. We didn't want to confess our faults one to another so that we can find healing from the brokenness, that we were ashamed of the things that we did. And so instead of, of pouring our heart out to those who should have compassion on us, we, we ran and hid in that guilt and shame, hoping that no one saw the darkness of our soul. Lord, we truly want freedom. We truly want peace. And so we lay down every single idol at your feet. There's not silver, gold, stone, iron, anything that could even compare to what you have to offer us. We won't build a shrine. We won't build a temple. We won't build build things in expectation that you're just going to sit there and be there, but we realize that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And by doing so, we have the access to restoration, to healing, to life, and life in more abundance. So Father, convict us with your Holy Spirit. As we open up your word, give us a greater desire to actually seek after what you say so that we can know what your word says, so we can know what your heart is for us. Lord, we do not want to live in sin and walk in unrighteousness, but we want to walk in holiness, not so that we can brag about it, but so that we can be a further conduit of your presence for other people. Let us not forget the testimony of salvation in our lives. Let us be quick to speak of your goodness in our homes, in our workplaces, in our cars, in our conversations, in our disagreements, let us still keep the cross at the forefront. Let us be in awe of you in every waking moment of our day. So appreciative of what you have done and what you've offered. with this, then we'll be done. I walked through, uh, when I was going to seminary, 
I, uh, I, w- I was taking this class, um, deliverance. It was just a class over deliverance specifically. I was reading a couple books and I was going through some some stuff. And as I was reading through a couple of these books, I noticed there was a prayer in there that I really felt drawn to, that I wanted to uh, I wanted to walk through. And so one night, Danielle was working the night shift at Gates at that time, and uh, she went off to to um, to her night shift. And it's probably like midnight, one o'clock in the morning. I'm sitting there, and I'm sitting at our kitchen table at the house that we were renting at the time, and um, I had the books open, I had this, this stuff there, and I even had a list of stuff that I wanted to pray about and kind of go through, and I had a real long list of just, I was like, Lord, I'm, I'm going to deal with this, I'm going to deal with anything that could even potentially be like a sneeze, and like, bam, I'm repenting for that, like, that we're getting everything out, and so I wrote everything down, and I walked through this prayer, and as I was praying through stuff, I, uh, I encountered a pretty substantial, it was awesome, uh, process of self-deliverance that I walked myself through. And uh, and I felt so free in that moment from just tons of weight that I was feeling and pressure at that time. That was an amazing moment in my life, but there's something that we need to realize as well after we walk through something like deliverance is that you still have to walk in obedience after that moment doesn't mean that temptation and trials are not going to come your way or your direction. It means that you have been freed from that and now you have an opportunity to start afresh, to resist the, the temptation, to resist that by submitting to God. James says, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, he'll flee. He doesn't say resist the devil and then submit yourself to God. Submit to God first and in your submission, you will resist the devil. You don't have to do a whole bunch of resistance to the devil if you're in full submission to God. It wasn't until... I put the cross as the centerpiece of my thought process that I was able to gain freedom, true freedom in walking all of that out. I gained freedom from the oppression of what what that was producing in my life, but I was not gained the freedom of habit in that process because I had not fully submitted my thoughts, my will, my emotion to the cross keep the cross at the forefront, your desires begin to dissipate for those things. But it's only in keeping the cross in the center. I'm a firm believer in deliverance. I love deliverance. It's an amazing thing when we need to go through. I I believe that there are many Christians who need to walk through deliverance in themselves, not that they're possessed, but that there's oppressiveness that the enemy tries to come against you and tries to manipulate you in your thought process. I don't believe that Christians can be possessed, but I do believe that the enemy comes against Christians. They're the biggest threat to the kingdom of darkness. So why would he not try to come against those who are the biggest threat to his kingdom? But we cannot just rely on deliverance for our freedom. There's a lot of people who I've seen who've been delivered from demons. And then as soon as they leave the place, they go right back into the same sin. And it seems like they have worse process. Idolatry is a thief. It is a thief only when we put the cross at the forefront, only when Jesus is at the forefront, that you can have complete deliverance, healing, and walk in the restoration of the Holy Spirit that he has for you. So let me bless you this morning. And we're going to be up here. If you feel like like we hit a couple of those, uh, those, those pinpoints, maybe some soft spots inside, and you would like some prayer, um, the three of us, my dad, Pastor Ken and I, we're going to be up here. We'll be available to pray for you, pray with you. We want to see you set free. We want to see you healed. We want to see you doing well. 
but you have to surrender yourself to, to that position and that place. And then walk in that freedom by positioning yourself with the cross at the center and the forefront of your mind. Otherwise, anything else that comes in front is going to deter you from actual freedom in Christ. When you have these things up in there, it moves your focus and then you don't have peace and you don't have patience. You don't have the, the restoration thought process. Everything that you do starts to seem like it's in chaos if it hits that little vein. You need to remove that and put Christ in its place. So I bless you in Jesus' name. Bless you to, to go into your, into your workplaces, into your households, into your, into your conversations with family and friends. I bless you into Walmart, into Kmart, into, oh, rest in peace, Kmart, uh, <laughs> into Kroger, into any other place that you would go into, any kind of shop, restaurant, school. Uh, I bless you to be the light of the world, that you can be, that you can be salt to the earth you can be a great conduit of God's presence and that you could be great representatives of the kingdom of heaven. In Jesus' name, be blessed. Have a great Sunday morning. Go eat with somebody. Celebrate Jesus with them. We'll see you guys next week.